0: Hey friends, it's Candace Eisner back with you again this week, and this week I wanted to talk about some health and wellness myths. Welcome to Life Beyond the Massage Table, a podcast for massage therapists, or really, anyone who works in health and wellness. I'm here to help you take a look at your business and practice in new ways, to think outside the box, and to shift gears from the same old stuff that isn't helping you build the life and the business that you really want. Let's get started. Hey, I hope everyone is having an awesome week. Um, As I'm recording this, it is almost Christmas, so if you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. If you don't celebrate Christmas, happy holidays, or just I hope you get some extra time off from your work and some downtime to figure out what you're doing in 2019 and all that good stuff, you know, the reassessment New Year's stuff that we tend to do this time of year. So yeah, this week I wanted to do a follow-up to an older podcast episode. Um, Some of you that have been around a while or you like to go back into the archives may have heard the Massage Therapy Myths podcast episode. I believe it was from last year, maybe March or April? It was in the spring. Um anyway, I did a did a podcast episode about that because there are a lot of myths floating around the the interwebs about <laughs> about massage therapy. And there's also a heck of a lot of myths flying around about health and wellness and fitness, even. Um, I'm sure you guys are all aware of a lot of them because if you work in health and wellness, you've probably heard a lot of these things. But, um, you know, it's it's kind of interesting sometimes when we look at these things that we believe to be true, and then we find out oh actually that's not been proven or that's completely you know made up or that's just somebody's opinion or whatever it might be. So my thought on this kind of stuff um, is that, and really my my thought on business in general, being in health, wellness, and fitness or any business at all, really, is that it's important to be authentic and honest and real with people. So that doesn't mean, you know, again, going back to previous episodes that I've recorded for you guys, it doesn't mean that you can't use modalities that aren't, you know, proven by science or whatever. You can use them. There's, you know, you can. It's just you need to be honest with people about this kind of stuff. So people ask you, you know, like, has there been like proven scientific results for this? Like if people ask those sorts of questions, you have to be real and honest about it. Um, you can always say, you know, I've had personal experience that is, you know, that this has helped me or I've had, um, you know, I've I've seen good results with clients, all that kind of stuff. But anyway, we talked about that in a previous episode. My point being is that some of these things that we believe to be truths, if we actually do our research and find You know, dig into it and find out more about it. We find out that it's actually not true at all. Um, And that's really what today's episode is just about. It's just four things that have come up over the last year um, that some people take to be sort of like infallible truths, but there's actually it's actually a myth or it's actually not as as it may seem or the media has misreported it or whatever it might be so yeah this is kind of a fun podcast episode to be honest cuz it's it's just it's talking about like four like trends in in health wellness and fitness um and the four just so you guys know right up the off the top that I'm going to talk about are uh, the celery juice um, thing, the 10,000 steps is the number of steps you need thing, um, the often quoted idea that sitting is the new smoking, I have seen that a lot of times in the media over the last couple of years, and the debate about what diet is the best diet for optimal health, um, because there's certainly people who believe that there is one diet to rule them all. So those are the four that I'm going to talk about today. So let's launch right into that. So let's talk about celery juice. So this was probably the biggest health trend of 2018, at least in my community. You know, I saw there were other ones like charcoal being used in various things. Um, there were other trends that came up, but I would say that celery juice was the number one that I saw on Instagram, Facebook, you know, uh, vloggers on on uh, YouTube talking about it, like lots of people talking about it. So um, if you've never heard of the celery juice thing, or you just don't know where it came from or whatever, well, let's talk about a bit about the background. So this trend came from the medical medium. Um, the medical medium is a person who, um, like, I don't want to get into who this person is or anything too much because, you know... People can do their own thing. But this is a person who doesn't actually have a degree in medicine or anything, but um, says that since he was a young, very young, like at a young age, has been able to hear from, and I don't know how he words it, so excuse me for that part, but hear from sort of like spirits or from like the ether, like hear things about people's health. So he's able to um, pick out information very clearly because It's the idea of being a medium, right, if you guys know what that term means. So anyway, this person, he says that this is an exact quote from uh, his website. So if people knew all the potent healing properties of celery juice, it would be widely hailed as a miraculous superfood. Celery has an incredible ability to create sweeping improvements for all kinds of health issues. So that's, you know, a very, very short summary of what he says about celery juice. There's a lot more that he said, but like we could easily make a whole podcast episode about this topic, but I'm not going to. So in summary, um, celery juice has been claimed to help with all kinds of issues from eczema to infertility to cancer to everything in between. Basically, almost any health condition you can think of, it's been... Like, um, there's been a link saying, like, if you drink celery juice, it will improve that condition. Not every condition, but there's been a lot of claims out there. But here's the thing. Does it actually do all that? Like, is celery really, like, the biggest superfood of our time? Well celery itself has a lot going for it, right? It's got fiber, it's got vitamins, it's got beneficial flavonoids that may play a role in reducing inflammation or decreasing memory loss, possibly reducing blood pressure. Like Studies have been done and research has been done on this stuff, but most of that research has been done on rats. And that means that it's not necessarily applicable to humans. There hasn't been a lot of human studies done on this. There's been a lot of anecdotal evidence that people say, you know, I feel better when I'm drinking celery juice, which we'll get to in a second, but there's not a lot of, like, research proof. But what else is good about celery? Well, it's a low-calorie snack, so it's useful for people trying to lose weight. That's, you know, that's been shown to be true. Or people who are trying to just eat more healthy. I mean, hey, eat your veggies, right? We all kind of know that. We've been taught it since we were, like, two. (laughs) And it's true. Um, It is good to eat your veggies, Right. These are all good things. There's nothing wrong with celery in and of itself. It's not like I'm trying to say here, don't eat celery or do eat celery. It's just, hey, celery's good for you. So if you like it, you should eat it. But the claims about the other health benefits are not really supported by current research. You probably kind of got that inkling from what I was saying a second ago if you didn't already know this. There isn't any evidence at this point in time that celery juice has any effect on cancer, eczema, or any of the other things that it's claimed to have an effect on, other than the very short list I just gave you, um, because that's the stuff that's been researched, like the decreasing memory loss and potentially helping with blood pressure, that kind of stuff. It has been researched, but mostly on rats. So the general hypothesis from the medical community is that people who get benefits from drinking celery juice, they're getting them because they've added a healthy habit and not because celery juice itself has some sort of magical property. Like, for example, um, the medical medium and other people who believe um, that sort of lifestyle or that way of living says that you should be drinking the celery juice first thing in the morning. And s- but. It's been shown that yeah, like hydrating first thing in the morning isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like it can help your health. Um, it's it is a good thing, and obviously a veggie-based juice is a good thing. Like having more vegetables, having more vitamins in your in your body, are, that's a good thing, right? Um, so, like we said, you know, celery has vitamins and flavonoids, and we know that it it is useful. Um, however. There's no proof that juicing celery versus just eating it actually makes sort of a big difference in terms of your health benefits. Actually, um, it's been pointed out by dietitians and other people that juicing it actually causes you to lose some of the health benefits because you're moving, removing all the fiber. I also read one, um, one article, it wasn't a study, but I also read one article where it was pointed out that when you juice a vegetable, it actually increases the sugar content, I think because it concentrates it. So you're actually getting more sugars when you juice your veggies versus eating them raw. Um, I don't know for absolute 100% sure if that is true. It sounds correct to me, but that's when you'll have to do your own research on. So here's the thing about celery juice. If you like celery juice, like here's our, here's our summary. If you like it, if you can afford to do the daily habit, then go for it. You know, um, note, you know note to all of you, if you didn't know, like... Juicing celery, you have to juice probably a couple of bunches of celery in order to get enough, like a significant enough amount of juice to actually drink. And celery is not the cheapest thing in the world. It's not like it's only, you know, 50 cents for a bunch. Like it's, it's two, three bucks for a bunch here in Canada, sometimes more. So it's not the cheapest thing in the world. Because imagine, say you're, you're juicing two bunches a day every day of the year. Like, just do the math quick, because you'll see that, like, the cost is going to add up pretty quick. Um, That is not the cheapest thing in the world, certainly, to be doing. But yeah, you know, if you, all to say, you know, cost aside, if you like celery juice, if you're finding it's helping you, that's totally fine. Go for it. Just be aware that the claims about celery juice are pretty misleading. There's no actual proof that it's, you know, a real thing that actually uh, does help cancer or does help eczema or whatever. And to be honest, you might just be better adding more celery into your diet. So you actually get to eat more celery. That might be actually a better benefit. You know, you get the extra fiber, less sugar, that kind of thing, rather than juicing it. So that's all we're going to say about celery juice. Just, you know, it's a trendy thing, maybe because it's makes a super pretty green juice. um, So it's, for Instagram, and Instagram is kind of the social media platform that everybody has been, you know, using. So maybe that's part of the reason celery juice is so popular. But yeah, you know, if you like it, if you find you get personal benefit from it, go for it. Just be aware that a lot of the claims being made have not been substantiated at all. So, so let's move on to the 10,000 steps thing. So it's been kind of said for quite a few years now, right, that, you know, 10,000 steps is some sort of like magic number for fitness or for activity level. Um, this is obviously not just a 2018 trend. We've been talking about this for quite a few years. I would say maybe the last five, six years, it's really kind of grown. I think I think, I think Fitbit and those devices have been around longer. Um, and actually, this 10,000 step thing is way longer um, way back in time, which we'll get to in a second. So yeah, you know, this actually has been extensively researched. So I can actually give you some real serious, um, tea on this one, as opposed to, (laughs) as opposed to the celery juice one, which is, you know, eh, there's, you know, it's a little bit more, more iffy. I mean, so yeah. Um, also say, does the 10,000 step thing have any valid proof? Well, sort of see the number 10,000 steps actually came from a Japanese company back in the 60s. I told you it was a while ago. Probably the 60s is before most of you were born. (laughs) So this Japanese company created a pedometer device. Those of you who don't know, pedometer tracks your steps. Like, you know, literally, that's what it does. And this Japanese company wanted to sell the pedometers. So they naturally came up with a number of steps that people should be tracking in order to be healthier, Right. Need to track your steps, therefore, buy a pedometer. Pretty simple marketing, right? And um, the device was actually called a Manpokai, which means 10,000 step meter in English. So there was no hard evidence that 10,000 steps was actually the necessary number to, you know, be healthier or lose weight or lower your blood pressure or, you know, whatever sort of um, thing you're trying to measure when it comes to being more active, In reality, what the Japanese company really saw was that the average Japanese person was taking about half that number of steps. They were taking about 5,000 steps a day. So the 10,000 figure was simply their attempt to get people more active and obviously sell more of their product. That's really it. And actually, it worked. So this number is actually now commonly used in 2018, which is kind of surprising, but not so surprising. So... Here's the thing, you know, about the 10,000 step thing. For some of us, 10,000 steps is a useful measure of activity. If you are the type to be super sedentary, it's helpful to wear a Fitbit or another tracker if it gets you up and moving more often, especially, you know, the type that I like. I have one. Uh, I believe it's called the Fitbit Charge. No, oh, it's the Charge 2, where you can set it to remind you during certain hours of the day to get up and move once an hour. That way you're not completely just sitting at your desk the whole day without moving. Not not so healthy. Um, at least I don't think it's that healthy. Which, actually, we're going to get to that myth in a minute, as I said in the beginning. But yeah, you know. Um, it is helpful to get up and move, in, get up and move and you know um, 10,000 steps may actually be a useful measure for some people. They do warn in some of the things that I've read, studies and whatnot, that as long as you're not going from super super sedentary, like you barely move at all to super super active, then, it, then it's a good thing. Because if you're doing the super sedentary to super active, there are risks involved in that, right? Like say you have a heart condition or you're diabetic or something like that where you need to be more careful about, you know, the level of exercise, the level of cardiovascular stress that you put on your body. Um, but those people aside, as long as you do uh, your increasing activity in a healthy way, having a goal of 10,000 steps, like it's not a bad thing. It's not like I'm telling you, oh, just forget about that and just do what you want. Well, you know, that's, it's not a bad thing having a goal. It's not a bad thing having a number that you want to get to on your Fitbit every day because you feel competitive with yourself or you're having competitions with friends because you're doing, you know, Fitbit competitions or Garmin competitions or whatever device, you know, you and your friends have, right? And yeah, having those 10,000 steps can lead to weight loss, cardiovascular improvements, mental health improvements, because you're up and moving, and all the things that we expect when we're exercising more. It's true. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, toss that all out. But as you probably all figured out on your own, the intensity of your steps really matters. So if you're getting about 10,000 steps per day, and it's all low-intensity stuff, just like puttering around your house cleaning stuff, you know, and I don't mean vigorously cleaning stuff. I mean like, you know, putting away your kids' shoes that they just never put away no matter how many times you ask them to do it or cleaning up, uh, you know, uh, after dinner or doing the laundry, you know, uh, taking a, you know, a light stroll over to the grocery store and back, you know, all those kinds of things. If you're just doing that level of activity, It's not really as helpful as it could be. So if you're getting your 10,000 steps, does that really have a big impact on your cardiovascular health? Probably not, unless you were super sedentary to begin with, like we mentioned. But if you're trying to be, you know, increase your cardiovascular health, if you're trying to get more active... The important thing is getting a number of minutes of moderate to high intensity exercise each week. That's way more important than 10,000 steps. The kind of thing that gets your heart rate up and makes you get out of breath at least to some extent, right? So things like brisk walking or running or playing a sport, you know, any of the any of those types of things. There's more things as well. Those are just good examples. The exact number of minutes per week varies depending on who you ask and what country you live in. But I've seen the 150 number, 150 minutes a week, quoted by the CDC in the U.S. and the Heart and Stroke Foundation here in Canada. So it's a fairly common one. I've seen it quoted uh, by some uh, EU organizations as well. I think even the World Health Organization has mentioned it somewhere on its website as well. So 150 minutes seems to be fairly well accepted and somewhat researched. So... 10,000 steps, all to say, is a fine number, but it's not based on actual science or research. It's just kind of a number that a Japanese company threw out in the 60s and we've all kind of adopted since. So nothing wrong with using it if you like to be competitive with yourself. Just remember the actual intensity of your exercise, you know, in getting your heart rate up, getting moving 150 minutes a week. That's more important than, you know, Arbitrarily getting hundred, you know, sorry, um, ten thousand steps per week or per day, sorry. So, speaking of stepping and getting the body moving, let's talk about that sitting thing I just mentioned. So, sitting is the new smoking. That seems to be a headline in the media. I would even call it clickbait if we're on uh, if we're on you know websites if we're talking about digital media rather than you know printed media. So. I bet almost all of you have heard this one before, Um, whether you've heard it frequently or just maybe once or twice, doesn't matter, but you probably heard it. And as health and wellness practitioners, you probably all know that sitting too much isn't good for the body. You may have even experienced it yourself. Like, I just turned 40 and I can tell you... (laughs) As I'm aging, yeah, like the more I'm sitting, the more it's kind of hard to get up and get moving again. God, I don't want to think about what it's going to be like when I get into my 50s, 60s and 70s and beyond if I'm lucky enough to live that long. But yeah, so yeah, uh, it's been shown in research that sitting too much isn't good for the body. Um, as we said you know, a second ago when we were talking about the 10,000 steps thing, we need to have a good amount of active time each week in order to decrease our risk of things like heart attacks and diabetes and weight gain and all those things that happen when you're not active. But the idea that sitting is equivalent to smoking doesn't actually hold up in actual research. Now, I realize that what w- was intended by this statement may be different than the way that some people are taking it, but we're going to talk about both those things. So, Let me talk about the actual equivalency idea. So last month, in November 2018, last month when I'm recording this, I mean, because I'm recording it in December. So this website, Science Daily, which reports on, you know, published research in science and that kind of thing, they published an article that summarizes brand new research. And here is the quote from them. Um, No sitting, or sorry, no, sitting is not the new smoking, despite what countless newspaper articles have peddled in the recent years. That's the consensus from an international team of researchers who have laid to rest, so they say, editor's note, misleading claims claims comparing the health dangers of sitting for long periods of time to smoking cigarettes. In the latest issue of the American Journal of Public Health, researchers from Canada, the U.S., and Australia say that while research does suggest excessive sitting roughly more than eight hours a day increases the risk of premature death in some chronic diseases by 10 to 20 percent, this pales in comparison to the risks associated with smoking. Smoking increases risk of premature death by any cause by approximately 180 percent, researchers say. So end quote there. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, 10 to 20% versus 180%, I mean, you can see right away, they're not equivalent, right? And yet, you know, I went back and looked at some other studies myself, and the findings were very similar. Um, excessive sitting does increase your risk of various diseases and problems. That's that's true. I'm not going to argue that. This is why we say that we need to get up and moving, right? But no, it is not equivalent to smoking, not even close, Smoking is one of the biggest health risks of our generation. If you're a smoker, by the way, this is not shade at you. This is just talking about the research, okay? You you know, you do you. You make those decisions for yourself. But that that's what the findings were, right? So a couple things I read. So speaking of like different ways to take that sort of smoking as the new sitting thing. A couple of things I've read said that the idea of sitting being the new smoking wasn't meant to be taken literally like these researchers were taking it, and like other researchers have been, you know, looking at it, right? It's known that smoking is worse. They, you know, nobody's arguing that. That's, that's what these other people are saying. Nobody's arguing that smoking is worse. But that's just it. Generally speaking, society now accepts that smoking is super bad for your health. Like, it used to be back in, you know, say the 20s, 30s, 40s, that smoking was kind of like the thing to do. It was cool. You saw the advertising everywhere. You even had like doctors literally advertising cigarettes. Like, this was pretty crazy, right? And if you've, if you've looked at the ads of those years, um... But now we, it's pretty much accepted in society that smoking is not good for your health. Like even smokers usually will say that to you, right? That they know it's not good for their health, but it's an addiction. So they're smoking. And again, we're not, this is not shade on you guys if you are a smoker. But yeah, um, now as a society, we accept that smoking is not good for our health, but with our busy lifestyles and jobs and have us sitting at a desk all the time, even if you are working in fitness or health and wellness, if you actually track the number of hours that you're sitting at a desk, like returning client phone calls, booking appointments, working on your social media, like whatever it is you do, you'll probably find that you're sitting more than you think you do. So a lot of us are sitting a lot of the time, and we haven't come to accept yet that sitting that much is really bad for us. We've, we've kind of just hand wave over it, kind of like people used to hand-wave over smoking. So... Sitting isn't exactly the same as smoking, right? But what people are saying is basically they're using that as a headline to make you think, well, you know, sitting is actually bad for us, but we just haven't kind of come to accept it so much yet. It's hoped that the next generation is going to look at sitting too much the way we look at sitting now is bad for our health. So, You know, is sitting the new smoking? No, not exactly. But is sitting good for our health? No, not really. Not as much as we do it. So maybe we need to look at that. That's basically what some people are saying. Now let's move on to something else that's kind of generational, you know, because like the sitting is the new smoking thing. Like we just said, it's kind of generational. It's like sitting is the... The bad thing that we are doing to this generation, just like smoking was a previous generation. And let's look at this new thing. And that's the one diet is the best diet idea. Now, this one might having have people sending me angry messages. Please don't send me angry messages. <laughs> There's a lot of people out there who strongly believe that one way of eating is the only way to be truly healthy. You know, there's raw till four, 80, 10, 10 keto, paleo, low carb, low fat, Atkins, zone, et cetera, et cetera. You guys know there's literally dozens of diets out there. Even if you're not into the diets, you've probably heard of a bunch of them. Various diets are trendy at various times. Some are all about weight loss. Others are focused more on feeling healthy. Some are claiming they can reverse disease processes. There's all kinds of things out there, right? Now, let me say first, straight up, if you have allergies or a medical condition and you need to eat a specific way in order to be healthy, for example, you've been diagnosed with celiac disease and you need to avoid gluten, then yeah, do that. You know, I, this is not about that at all. I'm not talking about if you have a medical condition and need to eat in a certain way. You know, there's no question that you need to eat in a certain way um, in those cases. What I am saying is not about that at all. What I'm going to say is this. For the general population, no study has ever shown that one diet is the best diet for everybody. And I'm sorry if you feel that, you know, your diet is the best diet, but it may be just the best diet for you, okay? Okay. Now, there are absolutely factors we need to consider when we're eating, right? And by the way, before I keep talking about this, you guys know that I'm not a registered dietitian. I'm not a nutritionist. This is not my area of expertise. I'm more just saying, for those of you who it isn't your area of expertise, be aware that these diet trends are that. They are trends. That's that's why I'm talking about this topic, because I find that some people who work in health, wellness, and fitness sometimes go a little bit overboard and they start um, they start like giving people advice about you know diets and about other things that are sort of outside of the scope of what they normally do. And it's good to actually be educated and know about this stuff a bit more than simply like, oh, you know, my best friend started doing um, 80-10-10 and is feeling like the best she's ever felt in her whole life or whatever it is, right? That's why I'm talking about this. So anyway... Let's go back to what I was just saying. So there's absolutely factors we all need to consider when we're eating. This is kind of accepted by dietetic organizations and doctors and such, right? We need to get our RDIs of minerals and vitamins. That's been proven. Generally speaking, we need to get a good amount of all of our macronutrients like fat and carbs and protein, and we need to not eat too many calories relative to your level of daily activity, your body type, and all those things, right? We all know that If you don't do those things, you know, you'll gain weight and you won't feel well. It has been studied, and I know that, you know, there's not like the perfect number for every person for all those things, but there's accepted ranges for all of those factors, right? And similarly, it's been shown that if you eat too much junk food or fast food, it can have a serious detrimental health on your, or sorry, detrimental effect on your health. Those foods are okay once in a while. That's why we call them sometimes foods, But it shouldn't be a daily thing. So if you're a big, like, sort of junk food person, that's not a good thing. So research has shown that it's good to eat a variety of whole foods and make sure we're getting all the factors I just talked about. Vitamins and minerals and fats and carbs and protein and all those things. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know that the exact balance of fat to carbs to protein is debated. I know there's no, like, research that has proven that, like, one set of numbers is the perfect number. Um, there's been research that'll show like one number works for one population and then another study will come in and say, well, no, this works. And so, yes, I'm well aware that, you know, there's no perfect balance there. Um, and then, and also it depends on your lifestyle. It depends on all kinds of things, right? But that's more info than we need to get to in this podcast is what I'm saying. Because again, I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nutrition expert, but just know this takeaway message, because I think this is important for anyone working in health, wellness, and fitness, because when you're working with clients, they do start to ask you questions about all kinds of things. Oh, my gosh. Yes, you know, you might be a massage therapist or a physio or a chiro, um, but they start throwing all kinds of health-related questions at you, especially if they start to, you know, get to know you and trust you, right? Because they want your, your opinion. They look to you as like a leader or someone who with knowledge, right? So... Know this takeaway when it comes to diets. In spite of all the trends and the claims and various things people say about their own diet or the diet of their friends, there is no one true diet to rule them all. I'm sorry about that. But paleo, keto, raw till four, whatever your diet preference, none of those is strictly better than any other diet for every human being. And that's partly why you've seen trends come and go. I mentioned Atkins at the beginning. Almost nobody is doing the Atkins diet these days. But, you know, go back to the, I think it was the 90s when it had its heyday, right? Go back then and, you know, all of a sudden, like, everybody's doing Atkins, right? So this is why. It's like, it's a trend. It's things that come and go. And it's not just based on research. It's just based on, like, what's trendy, what's new, you know, how the marketing was done, right? So all's to say, choose the diet that works for you. And, you know, you, if you're getting all the nutrition you need, you can follow the diet most of the time without feeling deprived. You feel healthy, you feel good, then great. That's the diet for you. If you have clients coming to you asking about diets, unless you're actually a professional who works in nutrition, like for real, like dietetics, if you're a dietitian or you're a doctor who does advise people on diet, like you've got experience with it, or you're a holistic nutritionist who has done, you know, your research and you know your stuff, that's fine. Or if you're, say, a naturopath, I forgot, you know, I forgot about them. So yeah, if you're in a profession where nutrition is part of your actual education and not just, you know, like something you learned in 10 seconds in, in a book and and then, uh, you know, you, you had to write a test on it and that was it. Because some professions, that's all the nutrition training they get. Um, yeah, don't... Um, be careful about that stuff. If a client asks you about it, you can, you know, you can say a little bit and then refer them to somebody who knows. And don't, you know, don't uh, say that one diet is better than, you know, the rest, because it's just simply not true. It's not been proven by research. And it's not, uh, it's not something that, uh, you know, that we really should be saying to each other, you know, even like even amongst friends and family, you know, we should be careful about that stuff. So so yeah, that's it for this week. We we did those four topics. Uh, this is a little longer podcast than usual, but it does take a while to talk about myths. So hopefully you learned something. Um, if you want to uh, respond to this podcast in any way, feel free to get in touch with me. As always, I am Happy Little Biz on Instagram. Um, you can also email me Candace at HappyLittleBiz.com. Always happy to hear from you. Don't mind, you know, if you've got other research or you've got more information on something, you know, feel free to share it with me. I certainly don't mind hearing other things about these things but but uh yeah that's it for this week and uh i'll be back with you guys with another podcast episode very soon thank you so much for listening you guys i really do appreciate your time and your efforts the times that you guys contact me with ideas for the podcast or comments about episodes or ratings and reviews all of that i really love it i read all of it I do really appreciate you guys. Um, by the way, if you would like to leave me a formal review, of course, I would really appreciate that. Head on over to iTunes, find my podcast, so Life Beyond the Massage Table. Click on ratings and reviews, and then just give me a rating and a review. Five stars, of course, and a glowing review. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. You know, let me know what you really think. But I do appreciate five stars. Well, let's be real here now for you guys that might be new to the podcast let me briefly introduce myself here my name is candace eisner and i am a former massage therapist in the province of ontario and i've also worked in various other health and wellness careers so i've got a pretty good view of what it's like to do what you guys do my mission right now is to help those in health wellness and fitness careers build strong businesses because i really believe to my core that taking care of others has to start with taking care of you that's what this podcast is all about is helping you build a business that really matches who you are and what you value and what's important to you so that you feel happy when you go to work each day. You feel like this career is the right one for you, that everything just works so much better for your life. Now, before I finish off and let you guys get about, you know, go about your day, I will mention where you can find me on social media if you would like to. The main place you can interact with me if you'd like to just chat or see what I'm posting about or, you know, get on my newsletter list or any of that kind of stuff, find me on Instagram, um, Happy Biz is my username, or of course, you can head over to my web- website, happylittlebiz.com and there's links to all that stuff there. Alright, that's it. Enjoy the rest of your day and I'll be back at ya soon.